In the early 1800s, doctors who worked with mental patients began to notice that some of their patients who appeared outwardly normal, they weren't depressed or anxious or out of touch with reality, seemed to have no empathy or consideration for the rights of other people. They diagnosed these individuals with what they called moral insanity. Today, we call those individuals psychopaths. On today's show, we take a look at a psychopathic psychiatrist who fooled just about everyone around him until he was convicted of murdering his wife. Colin Bauer and Annette Langford had a lot in common. Both intelligent and ambitious, the two met at a Mensa meeting, an exclusive society which restricts membership to applicants who score at or above the 98th percentile on an approved IQ test. At the time they met, Annette was working as a physical therapist while Colin was working as a doctor in general practice. The pair married in South Africa in 1981. In 1997, they moved to New Zealand with their two teenage children. Colin had been hired by the University of Otago, where he swiftly rose to earn the impressive title of head of psychiatry. Annette was now a homemaker dedicated to her family. On the outside, the Bowers seemed to have a perfect life in their beautiful beachside home in Dunedin. But then, Annette started to get sick. She was taken by surprise with her unusual physical symptoms because she had always been in such good health. Dizziness, blurred vision, and problems with her coordination began to bother Annette. So she first saw an optician and got a new prescription for her glasses. But things quickly took a turn for the worse only a few days later, when Colin found Annette unconscious in bed. After being rushed to the hospital, doctors determined Annette was in a hypoglycemic coma. This diagnosis didn't make any sense. The condition is not uncommon in diabetics who self-administer glucose-lowering drugs, but Annette didn't have diabetes. Dr. Andrew Bowers, the specialist managing Annette's hospital care, ran some blood tests that came back negative for diabetic medication. This confused him even further. But luckily, after a few days in the hospital, Annette's blood sugar stabilized and she was sent home. But four days after she was discharged from the hospital, Annette lapsed into another coma, and she was readmitted. This time, endocrinologists wondered if she had an insulinoma, a rare neuroendocrine tumor. The tests again were negative. Annette would go through the same scenario one more time before tragedy struck on the morning of January the 5th, 2000. Only a few days after Annette's third hospital release, Colin discovered his wife of 20 years dead in her bedroom. But when Colin called to tell Dr. Bowers of his tragic discovery, something seemed off to Dr. Bowers. Colin made a strange request. He asked Dr. Bowers to come to his home and sign Annette's death certificate. Signing the death certificate was normally a job for the patient's general practitioner, not a hospital consultant. When Dr. Bowers arrived, he was shocked to see the state Annette was in. She clearly had not died peacefully. Her bedroom was a mess, and her body was spread out across her bed, soiled with vomit. Dr. Bowers immediately suspected that Annette had had a seizure. Colin said he and Annette slept in different rooms, so he didn't know. 
He also said he hadn't noticed anything out of the ordinary that morning. Dr. Bowers was also surprised to see Ann Walsh, one of Colin's colleagues, at the house so early in the morning. When Dr. Bowers ordered an autopsy, Colin immediately objected. He explained that both he and Annette were Jewish, and according to Jewish law, Annette's body had to be buried within 48 hours. The situation was so disturbing to Dr. Bowers that he refused to sign Annette's death certificate without a post-mortem exam. His distress mounted the following week when the funeral was led by an Anglican priest, not a rabbi. Dr. Bowers wasn't the only person who found Annette's death suspicious. Dunedin police began investigating Colin shortly after his wife's passing and found a life filled with lies and half-truths. Annette was not his first wife, as he told most people. She was his third. Colin also had two children from his first marriage, an adopted daughter, Henriette, and a biological son, Colin Jr. Although Colin was indeed a qualified psychiatrist, he had been deceitful about much of his education and his life experience. In 1982, the South African Medical Council had suspended Bauer's license to practice medicine and put him on its list of impaired doctors because it seemed he had a weakness for Demerol. It was more than 10 years before his license was fully restored. In 1996, at least two of his South African patients had claimed to have had sex with him while under his psychiatric care, saying that he had told them he had been without sex for a long time because his wife had cancer. His tales of having been a political dissident with connections to Nelson Mandela were also false. Police tapped Colin's phone and were quietly working with Dr. Bowers to get to the bottom of Annette's death. Soon, investigators had a theory. They believed Colin had written prescriptions for glucose-lowering drugs, which he then ground up with a mortal and pestle and gave Annette in her food without her knowing. Although her hospital tests had come back negative, they believed they weren't sensitive enough to detect the drugs that long after they were administered. The police also discovered that the day before Annette died, Colin had picked up a prescription for a 1,000-unit vial of Humalog insulin a dose large enough to kill her. On September 15, 2000, nine months after Annette's death, the Dunedin police arrested Dr. Colin Bauer on murder charges. In a strange twist of fate, Colin's 25-year-old son, Colin Jr., had been arrested in South Africa only months earlier for murdering his own wife. Colin Jr. had been a domineering husband and had a rocky relationship with his wife, Rhea. In a fit of rage, he strangled her and staged her murder to look like a robbery. Colin Jr. even went so far as to slash his wife's underwear so it would appear as if she had been sexually assaulted. He then had his mother, Colin's first wife, help him cover up the crime. She was later found guilty of being an accessory after the fact. Colin Jr. eventually confessed to the murder of his wife and was convicted of culpable homicide. Though the father and son were very different in demeanor and lifestyle, they shared the same carelessness when it came to planning and covering up their crimes. Before Annette's death, Colin apparently didn't believe he would ever be considered a suspect. He was so careless. He told a graduate student two months before Annette got sick that his wife was in a coma. In late November, after Annette had been hospitalized, he sent an email apology to a colleague for missing a deadline explaining that his wife was terminally ill. He even gave a tutorial to a group of medical students on how to commit the perfect murder 
by injecting insulin between the toes. In the weeks following Annette's death, however, Colin realized that suspicions about him were growing. He began talking to experts in toxicology, trying to find out if glucose-lowering drugs could be detected in a post-mortem exam. He must have also realized that the police could track the prescriptions he had written and decided to come up with a better cover story. Colin now told police that he had prostate cancer and had been severely depressed. He said that when Annette got sick, he had made plans to commit suicide. He then claimed that he had stockpiled the glucose-lowering drugs and Annette must have found them and taken the drugs herself. Colin further explained that he and his wife had previously agreed that if either of them ever developed a fatal condition, the other would assist in their suicide. When Dr. Colin Bauer went on trial for the murder of his wife Annette, the prosecution argued that he had two motives, the money from her insurance plan and his mistress, Ann Walsh, whom he wanted to marry. She was a colleague who was present at the Bauer home the morning Annette's death was reported. The court heard how Colin administered dangerous drugs to his wife over a period of many weeks, all in an attempt to mimic the onset of a genuine disease so her death would appear natural. Prosecutors showed that on the night Annette went into her final coma, he had suggested to the rest of the family that they go on a late-night walk on the beach. This would make sure that Annette wouldn't be discovered until the morning when she was already dead. During the trial, Brenda Ruddock, Annette's sister, claimed that Colin had told her it would be easy to commit a murder in New Zealand because the police were not equipped to handle complicated cases. Police testified about finding the mortar and pestle Colin had used to grind up the glucose-lowering drugs hidden in the pantry. Even months after the murder, he had still not gotten rid of it. The evidence seemed overwhelming, but the defense tried to spin some of the damaging evidence in a different way. They argued, for example, that an insurance policy for 260000 New Zealand dollars was unlikely to tempt a doctor whose salary exceeded $100,000 a year annually. Nor would he need to kill Annette in order to marry Ann Walsh. He was already twice divorced. What did a third time matter? They also showed that Colin had been sexually involved with at least four hospital members, suggesting his relationship with Mistress Walsh must not have been that important to him. But the faked prescriptions, the premature references to Annette's impending death, his lecture about the perfect murder, and all of Colin's bizarre lies convinced the jury. It took them less than two hours to find Colin Bauer guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 13 years. His sentence was increased to 15 years following an appeal by the Crown. In prison, Colin's health deteriorated, and he developed stage 4 kidney disease. At his last parole hearing, Colin's lawyer insisted that Colin Bauer, the psychiatrist who poisoned his wife, no longer posed a threat to society. In September of 2017, Colin was granted parole. He was 67. He was immediately deported back to South Africa, where he lived until his death in September of 2018. Most of us are familiar with the term psychopath. It's a word that's thrown around a lot. I've heard it mistakenly used to describe a self-centered ex, and I've heard it used to describe just about every prison inmate. But most of the men and women I meet in prison aren't psychopaths, although I'm sure I meet more there than I would walking down the street. Many of them have made poor choices. Some of them don't have the same moral compass that most of us have, but the majority of offenders I see do have the capacity to feel empathy and love. 
Genuine psychopathy is a cluster of personality traits that includes antisocial behavior, arrogance, deceitfulness, and a lack of ability to feel guilt, empathy, or remorse. Time and again, Dr. Colin Bauer used his understanding of human nature to deceive and manipulate others for his own self-serving purposes. He lied to his colleagues, convinced his therapy patients to have sex with him, and ultimately murdered his wife. Recent research suggests that while most of us can't help feeling empathy when we see someone else in pain, psychopaths don't. But when they have a compelling reason, they can turn on their empathy switch to a level that is indistinguishable from other people. The psychopath's empathy is a conscious choice that is used to charm and manipulate others. Once they've seduced you into doing whatever serves their purpose, the empathy disappears. Fortunately, most psychopaths aren't that smart and so aren't that hard to spot. And even the smart ones like Colin Bauer tend to underestimate the intelligence of other people and lie needlessly in situations where they're likely to be caught. Sooner or later, life teaches us that people can only fake it for so long before someone recognizes the truth.